Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. These podcasts are designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor and have designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief as they battle the bullying epidemic. Today, we're going to take a look at why we can't drink the Kool-Aid of excuses. Many years ago, I worked as a director in a school for clinically disturbed students. And these kids also had some conduct problems as well. And I learned a great deal there about managing behavior that was both clinical and conduct in nature. Today, these kids have anxiety, the the, um, behaviors of anxiety and depression and um, other uh, mental problems, mental illness issues that kids have today are commonplace. It's very common. And in this school, we had kids who had a great deal of difficulty, but I was given the opportunity, and very happily, I might add, to work with some terrific clinical directors. And the the problem with um, combining the clinical approach and the behavioral approach in education is they don't always get along. They don't always see eye to eye. Both approaches are correct in and of themselves. But when you try to use them when someone else believes that a behavioral approach might be more advantageous, meaning that there's consequence associated with behavior, and you try to convince someone that the only way to go is with therapy, what you end up with is two people or two systems butting heads. And this is why the psychoeducational model in education really has two meanings. 
The first meaning is we are helping the patient get a clear view of what his condition is and educate them to help them deal with their own behavior. And the other meaning is it's psychoeducational. And what we want to do here is create a blend of the two in one environment where everybody can learn and everybody gets help. And I want to make it clear up front, I'm not opposed to either one of these. I think they work well when used correctly. Now, on this given day, a young man came into school late. We'll call him Nick. Change of name, of course. He comes in late and he bashes a window in the school trashes the building, tears down bulletin boards, and by the time I got to him, he had slugged the teacher. And I dragged him into my office because he was restrained and we had to bring him into the office. I sat him down and my comment to him was, Nick, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're going to have to take a seat in ISS until I figure it out. And a student with Nick's profile wanted to know what was going to happen right away because after the behavior, he knew that he was wrong. And he kept telling me, tell me what you're going to do to me. Tell me what you're going to do to me. And But I, I said, take a seat in ISS. And while I was untangling the whole thing, the clinical director walked in and looked at me and she said to me, oh, I knew that was a problem right there. She was always upset when she went, oh, I see you have Nick in ISS today. And I said to her, have you taken a look at my building? And she said, yes, but did you know that Nick didn't have breakfast? Well, right then and there, I knew that if I didn't excuse myself or excuse her, we were going to have a pretty big argument. So I said to her that, you know, I haven't even had coffee yet, but, you know, I'm trying to keep it together here. And I told her, to, you know, we're, we're not going to discuss this right now. And I went down to see Nick at about 11 o'clock with a bagel and an orange juice with me. And I sat Nick down, and I discovered that it was true that he didn't have breakfast. And he came into school to try and get something to eat, but he was late. The cafeteria staff wasn't hearing it because they'd already shut down for the morning. He got upset with the staff, and he had a meltdown. And he ended up having the problem that he had. So in speaking to Nick, my comment to him was, Nick, the next time that you come into school and don't have breakfast, the first person you need to see is me. You see, the behavior already occurred. It already happened. So there's nothing I could do with that, but I could teach him something for the next time. Now, unfortunately, Nick was, because we were a receiving district, he was sent back to his home school district because we could not have, as much as that school was for students who had 
clinical issues, we couldn't have that going on here, including slugging a teacher. Nick had to write letters of apology. There were charges filed. He got breakfast. He went home. I suspended him for 10 days pending what was called back then a program review to determine what Nick's placement might be going forward. Now, here's the point that I'm going to make. Any time a student involves himself in behavior that is inappropriate where there needs to be a consequence imposed, we cannot drink the Kool-Aid of excuses because the excuses are always built around circumstance. Tough upbringing, raised on the wrong side of the tracks, you know, dog died, father's unemployed, uh, mom and dad are getting divorced, whatever they may be, they, we cannot base our consequence okay, on an excuse or a circumstance that the kid is in at the time. Why? Because that, th those circumstances are, don't have nothing to do with the consequence. They may have something to do with the behavior, but they don't have anything to do with the consequence. And when we start lightening up on the consequence because of circumstance, we end up show, uh, uh, being an example to kids that if they have a big enough excuse, they won't be held accountable. And that's not something that we want to have happen, and that's part of the reason why behavior in school right now is so out of control. Circumstances only influence. They don't determine. But if you provide enough excuses for anyone, they'll provide you with the evidence to support your belief. And teachers have been forced to excuse behavior by a dysfunctional system. Because this goes on outside of school as well. They're always, even in the court system, they're always looking for circumstances. They're always looking for reasons why. When they look for the motive, okay, the motive is what caused this person to act out or kill somebody or do something inappropriate. But when they start to use excuses as to why they did what they did, we, what we end up with is adults believing that if there's enough there, they don't have to pay the price or we can lighten up on them. This system has been shoehorned into education by a dysfunctional society. And I'm at a loss almost in trying to figure out how to stop it other than to inform people of it and beg them not to drink this Kool-Aid because if they drink it and they believe it, what will happen is no one will be held accountable. I was driving my car one day. I was driving from North Jersey to Central New Jersey, whatever that means. They haven't figured out what Central New Jersey is, so... And I'm, my father, who was hospitalized with a stroke and was in a coma, was ba basically getting ready to die. And you could only see him 
in intensive care, 15 minutes on the hour. And I was a kid. I was 19 years old or 20 years old. And I was coming from North Jersey, and if I got out of work at 11.30, I could make it to the hospital on time. So I'm going down the turnpike, or yes, down the turnpike, doing about 90 miles an hour. And, of course, I get pulled over. And I plead my case to this state police officer, and this guy gave me a police escort to the hospital so I could get there on time. Wasn't that beautiful? I pulled into the parking lot. I parked my car. He pulled up in front of the building. I waved to him when I was running in. I said, thank you so much. And he said, no problem. And he handed me a speeding ticket. He gave me a break. He helped me out, but he still made me pay the price. He knew my circumstance, but he also knew there's a price to pay for speeding. He balanced what I call rules and regulations and compassion and understanding. When you can strike that balance and you can hold people accountable, kids accountable, while still being able to show compassion and understanding and you create a teachable moment either in your classroom or on the job and you work to try and help someone, not hurt them, you work to make sure they understand what their behavior needs to be, not just punish them with, with some type of consequence that is meaningless. When you do all of those, then you end up creating an environment where kids aren't afraid to make mistakes. They know that they're going to be able to have a discussion with you about their behavior. They are going to learn from you and they're going to respect you. The bottom line is, is when we excuse behavior and we excuse consequence or we don't impose a consequence behind some circumstance, we lose respect to the kids and they end up they end up seeing us as softies, wishy-washy, and they, they realize that nothing bad is going to happen, no consequence is going to happen that is, that is going to create any discomfort, and their behavior is worth the test to see what's going to happen. Once again, this is a faulty philosophy that has come out of college. I don't know that anyone in college ever heard rules and regulations and compassion and understanding. I don't know that anyone ever heard the, the thought that we, we are influenced by our environment, not determined. And we're not. We're not determined by our environment. We're not determined by our upbringing at all. We're influenced by it. And we could change our response to the influence if we want to change. But that's a whole other podcast. There are things that are going on right now. In society. In schools. And when we think about it. In schools, 
I want you to think about where we are societally right now. How many shootings have we experienced? How many behaviors have we seen from adults that are absolutely disrespectful and irresponsible? How easy is it for a parent to come into a building and start railing on the teacher or the administration or to make demands? They were never held accountable. They may have had a tough upbringing too. Their circumstances, you know, might have been, you know, one that caused them to be raised in a, a, an environment where they just developed disrespect and they didn't understand no. And they didn't know how to cooperate even though they might disagree. And they didn't know how to disagree with the right attitude. Where did all that come from? It comes from when they were younger and the excuses that they were allowed to get away with because of circumstance turn them into adults who believe that they can say and do whatever they want. And if we provide enough excuses in our schools, we're going to have more and more of this happening in our culture, in society, on the job, in politics, everywhere. There is no excuse for disrespect there is no excuse for irresponsibility. And let me tell you something. I see the blend and the benefit of a clinical and a behavioral approach. But the last time I looked, giving somebody the finger was learned behavior. And it was somebody taught it to them. And if you make excuses for things that are learned guess what? They're not going to get unlearned. They're just going to keep right on going and then they'll become adults and they'll be part of the fabric of society that ultimately we have to deal with. And we will. Job problems, problems with crime, problems with addiction, all of it. And it's up to someone, and I'm going to say that it's up to us to at least take a stand when we have that captive audience in our classroom. And don't drink the Kool-Aid of excuses that are built around circumstance. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. Please visit my website at www.bullyproofclassroom.com. I am going to put uh, in the episode description a uh, link that says course, everybody knows. Click on that and you'll get taken to this course. A course that describes things that everybody knows but we don't do anything about or even talk about it. Just like what one of this topic that we're talking about today, do not drink the Kool-Aid of excuses. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell them to like it on iTunes. Listen to it. The platform that I'm using right now is Anchor. It's available on eight other platforms. You can get it anywhere. 
listen to my podcast, Anti-Bullying 101. Listen to them, enjoy them, learn from them. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. These are teaching podcasts. I try to teach things that I believe will help teachers, parents, and administrators. And some of this stuff is not easy to digest, and some of the stuff is not easy to do. I was I worked as an administrator for 16 years. And you know what? As the tide changed, I had to get out because everyone stopped listening to me because these are the things that I believed in. And when you take a stand, you gotta be you gotta know what you're gonna do when the people stop listening. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.